Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning and service and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Good morning, I'm Ben Thacker-Gwaltney. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeter today is Susan Marcinkus. Thank you, Susan. And our guest speaker today is Steve Delaney, whom I'll introduce momentarily. If you're on Zoom at this time, you might wanna to change to speaker view so that you'll have a better view of whoever is speaking and our AV technicians will be muting and unmuting you as needed. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org online and you can download a copy. You'll find the link right next to the Zoom and the YouTube links. If you're visiting today, we invite you to share your name in the chat if you'd like to and anything you'd like us to know about you. And we also invite you to fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org, right underneath the link to download the order of service so that we can connect with you later. And also, we invite you to join our cafe conversation after the service today. Today's is a little different. It's going to focus on how WUU can be more welcoming on Sunday mornings. And it's just gonna be one large room. It will be facilitated and all are welcome. But now to introduce today's guest speaker, whom many of you have seen before, we welcome Steve Delaney. Steve has worked in ministry with young people for over 20 years in outdoor education, jail ministry, urban service, parish ministry, and as a high school teacher and campus minister. Steve has an MFA in creative writing and an MA in theology. His passions include literature and writing, hiking and gardening. He lives with his wife, Allison, the super chaplain, and their three kids and their dog, Peach, in Williamsburg, Virginia. Steve has a blog at some Delaney, S-O-M-E, D-E-L-A-N-E-Y, Sumdelaney at, or rather, sumdelaney.wordpress.com. We're happy that you've joined us via live stream audio or video or Zoom. Whether you come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we can't see each other physically. If you're a visitor, we offer you a special welcome and a warm thank you for joining us online today. And now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. Please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat and let's say them in unison together. Folks on Zoom will unmute you so that you can hear each other. Come. Whoever you are, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy. All are welcome. Our opening hymn today is number 360. Here we have gathered. Here we have gathered, gathered side by side, circle of kinship, come 
step inside. May all who seek here find a kindly word. May all who speak here feel they have been heard. Sing now together this our heart song. song. Here we have gathered, called to celebrate days of our lifetime, matters small and great. We of all ages, women, children, men, infants and sages, sharing what we can. Sing now together this our heart's own song. Life has its battles, sorrows, and regret. But in the shadows, let us not forget. We who now gather know each other's pain. Kindness can heal. our heart's own song. And now our call to worship, which is a piece called The Soul is Shy by Parker, Parker Palmer. The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, and self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places. I learned about these qualities during my bouts with depression. In that deadly darkness, the faculties I had always depended upon collapsed. My intellect was useless, my emotions were dead, my will was impotent, my ego was shattered. But from time to time, deep in the thickets of my inner wilderness, I could sense the presence of something that knew how to stay alive, even when the rest of me wanted to die. That something was my tough and tenacious soul. Yet despite its toughness, the soul is also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush, especially when other people are around. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we will walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently at the base of a tree, breathe with the earth and fade into our surroundings, the wild creature we seek might put in an appearance. We may see it only briefly and only out of the corner of an eye, but the sight is a gift we will always treasure as an end in itself. And now if you'd please join me in saying the words to light our chalice as we highlight the Richards Thomas family today. If you have a chalice or a candle handy nearby, please go ahead and light it now. And again, we'll unmute you and say the words in unison. We light this chalice, we light this chalice, chalice for the warmth of love. love. 
Wonderful job. And it's so nice to see family and outdoors, that springtime sunshine. Thank you so much. I have a book for you today that I would like to read, and I'm going to put the link to it in the chat for anyone who is curious to learn a little bit more about it. The book is called We Are All Me by Jordan Crane. We Are All Me, a book by Jordan Crane. And I would like to highlight that Sylvia Greer, who some of you might remember from the WUU preschool, donated this book. I am one. Here in a body. Alive in a world made of air. And of cloud. Made of water. and of earth and of seed. Made of sunshine and of root. made of leaf and fruit, made of bug and of bee, made of bone and a heartbeat each cell each cell every one in and around Each atom, every bit, made all of it. all of it all. All of it seeking. Seeking to be alive. To be aware, of itself as a body, 
to know itself. That it exists. All of it together. We are all one. May each of us know ourselves and know that we are part of something bigger. Blessed be. Thank you, Austin. And now we invite you to a moment of meditation and reflection and prayer. As we rest in awareness, may we remember when you share with me what is most important to you, that is where listening begins. When I show you that I hear you, when I say your life matters, that is where compassion begins. When I open the door to greet you, that is where hospitality begins. When I venture out to bring you to shelter, that is where love begins. When I risk my comfort to ease your suffering, when I act against hatred, violence, and injustice, that is where courage begins. When we experience the full presence of each other because of our shared humanity and because of our differences, that is where holy gratitude begins. May this space be a table that is not complete until all are welcome. May this table be a space of beauty where together we create a series of miracles and where all that we share is sacred. May it be so. And now holding all these loved ones and others and all your cares and joys in your heart, I invite you to add your own silent prayers and meditations for the next few minutes. Amen and blessed be. Each Sunday we make an offering from the bounty we're blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and to share our values. If you're joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish and also know that your presence is gift enough. This week's offering goes to the Avalon Center, which works to end domestic and sexual violence by breaking the cycle of abuse through prevention, education, shelter, and support services in our area. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, 
Avalon has received many more calls for help with a corresponding draw on their resources. And we have a video from them which summarizes their good work. Avalon is a center that helps people who are dealing with domestic, sexual violence, and stalking. The things that Avalon offered me personally was hope. There were people that went through what I went through and they were able to um, survive. I had someone who was a very trusted coach. I'm here for counseling. I had been to several out-of-state trips doing training and things like that at gyms that had equipment and resources that we didn't have at my gym. On one of those trips, he sexually assaulted me. When it happened, I really just froze. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. After I was assaulted, he held my hand and he looked at me and he said, are we still friends? And so he, he victimized me and then he made me tell him that we were still friends. That is the cruelest thing that one could do. I went through homelessness, the fear of losing my child, relocating four states. Um, I went through every possible method to not be able to leave my abuser. And that is the scary thing for a person who is a victim of abuse, to, be, to think that they won't get out of it, uh, get out of the relationship unscathed. Avalon offered a path forward. We embrace a philosophy of empowerment here at Avalon, which means we're just going to try to meet our clients exactly where they are and empower them to make the choices that they need to make for themselves. Our trauma-informed care says we understand that domestic and sexual violence creates trauma in people's lives, and that trauma may look different for every person. We have a vision at Avalon that we want to have a community that is aware of what domestic violence is, what sexual violence is, and to learn how to promote healthy relationships to be able to end domestic violence. They offered resources that said, if you do this, here are the um, elements of help that you can embrace, that you can use, and that you can utilize. That's a huge thing for a survivor. Therapy's been great for me, and I actually participate in individual counseling as well as group. A lot of the resources that I've received here, you know, point out ways that we deal with trauma, and I thought they were just my personality, isolating myself, numbing myself to my emotions. When I started to read these lists of characteristics that I thought were just who I was as a person, I started to realize these are actually coping strategies that I've built up over time. I couldn't have come to those realizations, I don't think without talking through what had happened and thinking through that and, and you know, receiving counseling and therapy. When we give gifts to domestic violence shelters, we're like angels. We give them things that, that we might have extra of, but that's their only one because they've lost everything. So the impact of a small thing, that's, that's huge. All these things working together create a perfect opportunity for you to impact in a significant way someone's life, someone who's in a situation they didn't ask to be a part of and feel like they have no control over. They don't come forward immediately. It's not because they contributed to you know, how they became a victim, but really it's about creating your own self-doubt, living with stories in your head that really aren't very realistic. All of that power control is taking place. Why do they stay? And I'll tell you, I hate that question. I think a better question is, why is the abuser abusing? I honestly don't think I would have come to therapy and, and received services if there were a cost. That sort of speaks to the idea of what a victim's mentality is. Am I worth it? Is it worth it? Should I just deal with this? Should I just cope with what I've got? I've been doing this for decades. Why would I go and get help now? And I would say, question those thoughts. Um, deeply and think about what 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 are the possibilities I hope you are moved by that beautiful video and the importance of Avalon's work
if you'd like to make a donation to support them, you can give through our website. You can visit wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. If you'd like to give by text, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0688. That, that number again is 757-500-0688 and follow the prompts from there. Or if you prefer to give by check, please mail your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia 23185. And all that information has been posted in the chat. Thank you so much. Thank you, that was beautiful. Um, thank you again, my name's Steve Delaney. Thank you again for inviting me to be here, letting me be a part of this community again. I, I really, really value and love uh, every time I get to be here. So it's a real honor and a privilege, um, especially on this beautiful spring day. So I'm gonna start with a reading and it's from a book called Consolations the Solace, Nourishment, and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words uh, by David White. David White's a poet and, uh, and writer. And he did this little book of um, just everyday words that he thought were interesting and important. And he walked through. So this one is on friendship. And I'm not going to read the whole, the whole piece, but uh, I just want to read a piece of this. Friendship. 
Friendship is a mirror to presence and a testament to forgiveness. Friendship not only helps us see ourselves through another's eyes, but can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight, a companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs, when we are under the strange, strange illusion that we do not need them. An undercurrent of real friendship is a blessing exactly because its elemental form is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships of any length are based on continued mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships die. In the course of the years, a close friendship will always reveal the shadow in the other as much as ourselves. To remain friends, we must know the other and their difficulties and even their sins and encourage the best in them, not through, through critique, but through addressing the better part of them, the leading creative edge of their incarnation, thus subtly discouraging what makes them smaller, less generous, less themselves. Through the eyes of a real friendship, an individual is larger than their everyday actions. Through the eyes of another, we receive a greater sense of our own personhood, one we can aspire to, the one in whom they have the most faith. Friendship is a moving frontier of understanding, not only of the self and of the other, but also of a possible and as yet unlived future. Friendship transcends disappearance. An enduring friendship goes on after death the exchange only transmuted by absence, the relationship advancing and maturing in a silent internal conversational way, even after one half of the bond has passed on. Um, the title of my uh, talk this morning is Let Me Listen to Who You Are, The Mystery of Friendship, Forgiveness and New Life. Um, and I was thinking about this. I uh, have worked my most of my life in the Catholic Church, but I'm, you know, my training is in is in theology and in New Testament. And I was been thinking a lot about the resurrection. It's the time of Easter, um, and about how difficult that experience is to think about and to talk about. Um, and I part of my own life of prayer is I'll read a little bit of the of the Gospels each day. And I had this realization that I'd never seen that uh, in the gospels, you don't ever see what the resurrection is. You only get to see its impact on the friendships in the story. Uh, and I found that really interesting that it wasn't um, here is a factual thing that we can argue about, but it was here is what happens to people around this, this new life happening. So that was on my mind. And I was thinking of a friend I, uh, I used to work with years ago and he was the director of a social service agency and I was uh, just working for him for a summer. And he asked me one day, he's like, what's the most important thing in life? And I was young and idealistic and I said, love. And he said, no, friendship. Uh, and I've always thought about that answer. I don't think I understood it when I was younger as much as I maybe do now. And the other thing that has been on my mind is I read recently in, uh, on Twitter, I follow all sorts of random people on Twitter, if anybody uses Twitter, but I follow Elizabeth Brunig who writes for the New York Times, she's an op-ed columnist for the Times. And she just had a little post where she said, you know, as a society, we don't have any way to handle forgiveness and reconciliation. Like we don't know how as sort of a public, as a nation, to uh, allow someone to be forgiven and reintegrated into community. And she was writing mainly about people who've gone through the criminal justice system, but she was also thinking about even just public, public people. Uh, and all of those things sort of been in my mind. And so I wanted to think about friendship and forgiveness a little bit today. Um, and since in the Christian calendar, Easter was last Sunday, 
um, I want to try to use that story of Easter as a way to maybe think about friendship. Um, the first reflection that Ben read from Parker Palmer, I think sets the ground with an important way to think about this, which was that the soul is shy and that you can't, you know, if you go trampling through the woods to look for the soul, you're just going to scare it off. Um, and I think that that is so wise. Um, and I think in my years as a teacher with young people, I've learned that uh, more and more over the years is that really patience and listening is the best way to discover who someone is. You can't demand that a person show you their deeper self. You can't demand someone be your friend, right? That it's only something that you can, um, you can ask for and become trustworthy of um, by listening and by attending. Um, and so I just like that idea of sort of patient listening as a way of maybe approaching this. Um, I wanted to tell a story of a friendship and then I'm gonna to try to connect that to one of the resurrection stories of Jesus in the gospel um, and see if there's something we can sort of uh, lift out of that. Uh, when I was young, right out of college, I had lots of hair and I was very enthusiastic. I um, joined a volunteer program in Chicago in the inner city and I moved there. I would just turn 22. And I was working in a parish on the far south side in uh, an African-American community. And I was working there as a youth minister and we ran a, a big food pantry and soup kitchen and um, clothing distribution. It was a very, very poor community um, that was suffering the results of just endemic poverty. Um, and one of my first weeks there, I had never really worked in the city. I didn't know what I was doing. I met a young kid named Devon, who was 11, just about to turn 12. And um, Devon was a really tough, wild, hysterical, troublemaking little boy. Lots of energy, um, always into trouble. He would have gotten in trouble in the best of circumstances. Um, but he was growing up in a really, really tough, tough community. Um, was in foster care, did not have... Um, did not know either of his parents. Um, and his block especially was very, very tough. Um, lots, of, lots of violence in the neighborhood. And Devon used to come to the church once we met to hang out all the time. He just kind of latched onto me and wanted to hang out and be with me, whatever was going on. And so we started like, you know, he was gonna be my little brother and I would be his big brother. And that was the beginning of a friendship that ha lasted for many, many, has lasted for many years. Um, a lot of my work with him was just hanging out. We'd go bowling or we'd go, he would come over to the church at night when I was working late and drink coffee with me uh, in the church kitchen. And just, he just wanted to hang out all the time. Um, as he got older, uh, I tried to help him like stay in school. And when he would get in trouble, I would go to meetings with him. And I would, a couple of times had to bail him out of jail. Um, and his teenage years were very, very hard on him. Um, and during that time, uh, I lived there for eight years. At the end of that time, he was in his early 20s, and we pretty much lost touch. He was living a pretty wild and distracted life. Um, and we just, our paths didn't cross very much. And one time when he was in his mid-teens, we were out one night, I was driving him home. He was living in a group home at that point. And he opened up to me and said, you know, my biggest fear in my life is that I will be homeless because I don't have anyone. Like, I don't have anyone. Um, and I remember driving, we were driving up Lakeshore Drive that night. And I said to him, I promise you that will never happen to you. Like, I, I will not allow that to happen. I promise I won't leave you. And I could even feel when I was making that promise that I was not adequate to it, that I was promising something that I didn't know that I could follow through on. Um, jump forward about 10 years from that night, I have moved back to Virginia. I'm teaching here and Devon and I have lost touch and I have a lot of guilt and shame about having left him. Um, the day we moved, I couldn't find him. So I never even got to say goodbye. Um, but I've looked him up 
one day and I found out that he was in prison. And so I sent him a letter and he wrote me back instantly, a long letter. He has this beautiful handwriting. And he was like, send me your phone number so I can call you. And I had this panic. I was like, oh man, he's just gonna, if I send him my phone number, he is gonna kill me over the phone. He's gonna be so mad because I promised him I would never leave him and I left. So I wrote him back and I didn't put my phone number in. Like I forgot. And he wrote me back again immediately. Hey, send me your phone number. I would, we need to talk. So I finally sent him my number. And for anyone who's uh, has talked to people from prison, um, you have to set up a, like they have to call you collect many times. And so I'd set up an account so he could call me. And I remember the day I finally set it up and so that he could call. And I was so terrified that he was just going to tear a hole in me with his anger because um, that I had, a, had left him. And I remember my family was watching TV and I picked up the phone and my hands were sweaty. And I said, hey, and he was so joyful and grateful to talk to me. And I said, Devon, I'm sorry that we haven't, and he wouldn't even let me finish. And he said, I'm so, thank you, thank you for always being someone who didn't give up on me. Uh, and we both cried um, in that phone call. And he's, and I said, I feel like I left you. And he laughed and said, don't be stupid. Uh, he's like, he's like, I was always in trouble and you were always there. And so this moment that I was expecting to be a moment of where he was going to point out something I was deeply ashamed of, I was forgiven. Uh, and he reminded me of what it meant that we were friends. Um, and he and I've talked about that several times since that time uh, and what that reconnecting has meant for both of us. Okay, Devon. Um, I wanna tell briefly one of the resurrection stories. This is my favorite one. And some of you may be very familiar with the Christian scriptures and, and some may not be. So just in brief, um, you know, Jesus is crucified. He dies on Good Friday, on a Friday. And on Sunday, he, he's put into a tomb and the tomb is just found empty. And then what we learn is he encounters a lot of the people that he was friends with and loved in his life um, afterward. And there's no explanation of like what happened or how it happened. Jesus doesn't go get revenge on all the people who hurt him. You know, the only thing he does is he comes back to the people he loved to try to re-engage them uh, and strengthen them. So this is one of my favorite stories. Another thing about it that is as important to know is that Peter was the leader of Jesus's little group of disciples. He, the night Jesus is killed, Peter is so afraid he denies knowing Jesus at all. And it's this famous story where he, Peter denies Jesus three times. There's a crowd of people saying, you're friends with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I don't even know him and runs away. And that crushes Peter, this sense that he betrayed someone that he loved in the moment where Jesus really needed him. Okay, so here's the story. So it's after Easter and Peter and a bunch of the guys are together and they say, we're gonna go fishing. And so they were fishermen in their life before they met Jesus, they're going fishing again. They go out fishing, they fish all night, they don't catch anything. And then they see someone on the shore and he says, hey, how's the fishing? And they say, terrible. And he says, try your nets on the other side. So they throw the nets on the other side of the boat and they catch so many fish that they can't even pull them in. And then Peter realizes that must be Jesus on the shore. So he dives in and swims to shore and the other guys row the boat back with the fish and they get to the shore and Jesus is, there's, has made a fire and he's cooking them breakfast. And they all come up and he says, here, have some breakfast. And he feeds them fish and bread. And then they eat. And then after the meal, they're sitting there and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And this is in front of everyone. And Peter says, uh, yes, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, good, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's getting a little upset. He says, Lord, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, good, feed my sheep. A third time Jesus asks, do you love me? And Peter's response is so telling. He says, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, good, feed my sheep. 
that little exchange has always captivated me. Um, because what Jesus does there is sets the scene so that Peter can be re forgiven and restored. So if we look at just that story, I just want to point out three things about it, and then I'll close with a reflection on friendship. Um, that I think this idea of new life and love um, can offer. One is that in the story, the disciples, Jesus's followers, are going back to fishing. And in the beginning of the Gospels, that's what they're all doing. They're fishermen, and then he meets them and sends them on this journey together. And the idea is that they feel like nothing has changed. They're going back to their old life. And I think there's something in the story that is against despair that they're saying, we thought something new could happen. It didn't. We're just, this is how we are and this is how we're gonna be. Let's just go back to our old lives because nothing, we've, we wanted to be different and we were with Jesus, but he was killed and it's over. And Jesus in this resurrection story is trying to restore them by saying, it's not over, right? There's always hope, there's always possibility. Um, and I think I find that just inspiring as a way of thinking about the gift of new life, that there's this tendency within us when we are hurt towards despair and towards saying, I shouldn't have even thought that something could be different. Uh, and he meets them there. The second part is, is he feeds them. I just think this is so lovely. He cooks them breakfast. And it actually says in the text, they show up and he says, hey, have some breakfast. Um, and he gives them bread and fish, which in the Christian tradition are symbolic of this sacred meal. But I think there's something really powerful in that about what friendship is for is to help us stay on the journey together. Um, I think one of the things that I was forgetting with Devon is that I thought our friendship was only one way. That what our friendship was about was about me helping him. And what I forgot was that no, friendship means that we help each other. And that I think he has given me more, you know, he's still in prison, but he has given me as much help and care as I have been able to give him um, back and forth. And so I think I love this idea of friendship as the gift of sustenance, encouragement to stay on the journey. The last piece is the forgiveness piece. And the reason I read the David White thing is I love his definition of friendship. He says, a friend is someone who has agreed to forgive you over a long period of time. Um, and I find when I teach students, I say one of the things to me that rings the most true, you know, not like a factual true, but just sort of emotionally, spiritually true in the Christian story is this experience of forgiveness. Uh, I think it's remarkable in the resurrection stories that Jesus does not use the resurrection as a place of power or revenge or weaponizing it or anything. All he does is, is offer friendship to people that he loves. And I love this scene of forgiveness. Um, so I think maybe an invitation for ourselves in spring with new life beginning um, is to reflect on maybe friendship as a path, as a spiritual path, but also how important forgiveness is as part of that path. Um, that one of the gifts of friendship is that we have the possibility of listening to someone else and loving someone else as they become who they really are. And that also we allow someone else to let us become our best selves, our better selves. Um, Devon allowed me to become more than the mistakes that I made. Um, and I think you see that in the friendship with Jesus and Peter as well. Um, so let us give each other that gift of new life uh, through the gift of friendship. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. We are now going to sing our closing song together, which is number 15 in the hymnal, The Lone Wild Bird in Flight.
say the words to extinguish the chalice and we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time we will paste the words in the zoom chat and again we'll do this all together in unison thanks again to the richards thomas family for lighting and extinguishing our chalice today We extinguish the but not the light. 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 And this is one called For Friendship. It's a short prayer. May you be blessed with good friends and learn to be a good friend to yourself, journeying to that place in your soul where there is love, warmth, and feeling. May this change you. May it transfigure what is negative, distant, or cold within your heart. May you be brought into real passion, kindness, and belonging. May you treasure your friends. May you be good to them, be there for them, and receive all the challenges, truth, and light that you need. Amen.